Good morning, Grace Church. It's my joy to take this last, the eighth of these Advent sermons. My assigned topic this morning is the purchase of the Redeemer. So by way of review, let's just go quickly through what we've heard in the previous seven. Corey spoke to us on the Redeemer in eternity past. God's delight in the eternal Son and challenged us with the question, is Jesus enough for you? Do you delight in Him? Jeff spoke to us on the Redeemer in the First Testament. And we heard about Christ seen in the type of one who turned away the wrath of God. Chase spoke on the Redeemer in the New Testament, reminding us of Emmanuel, God with us, and that His name is Jesus, for He will save His people from their sin. And the good news this morning is that He has and is doing just that. Larry spoke to us on the works of the Redeemer, pointing out the consecration of Christ for His priestly ministry and offering the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. Joel spoke on the words of the Redeemer. Here we saw God's sovereignty seen in the reaction of those who heard the gracious words of Jesus Christ. Some fled away while others followed by faith. Tommy showed us the wonder of the Redeemer. Christ's preeminence revealed in God's declaration on the Mount of Transfiguration, where He said, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Chris just showed us the suffering and the passion of the Redeemer, reminding us of the price that was paid on Calvary and before, from the time of the Incarnation throughout the life of our Savior. Today, it's my joy to talk about the purchase of the Redeemer. So if you would, let's ask the Lord to be with us as we look into His Word. Our Father, we thank You for this opportunity to look into Your Word and to see the purchased possession of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You that we've had time to pause and to reflect on what the Lord Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. Lord, we know that we're not redeemed by our merit, but by His mercy. And we ask that You would attend the preaching of Your Word with Your power, that now as we've sung about the power that's in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we might turn and rejoice in what that blood has accomplished on our behalf, bringing us to Christ, 
that we might be forever with him who loved us and gave himself for us. So I ask now that all of our thoughts and all of our attention might turn away from ourselves. Help us to look away from ourselves and look unto Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake, because he's the one worthy of all the glory and all the honor. Amen. So when I was assigned this sermon topic, I was immediately filled with joy at the prospect of reminding the blood-bought bride of Christ of his love for her. My goal this morning is to encourage saints to rejoice in the risen Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and also to call sinners to repentance. In reality, there are only two types of people in the world. There are repenting sinners who have fled to Christ for refuge and rejecting sinners who are fleeing from Christ toward some other hope. So rejoice this morning, Grace Church, because Christ is our hope. Sinner, hear Him. He is your only hope. So, trying to put this sermon into a sentence, this is what I came up with. Rejoice in Christ, because He has purchased His bride, the church, and we are now free to serve Him in love. So, the sentence is, rejoice in Christ, because He has purchased His bride, the church, and we are now free to serve Him in love. The Redeemer's purchase is based on relationship, not on ritual, on love, and not on list of do's and don'ts. We see this in the eternal covenant of grace demonstrating the work of the Trinity. In love, the Father chose the bride. In Ephesians 1 and Romans 8, we can find that. And in love, He sent His Son In John 3.16, that whosoever believe on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In love, the Son laid down His life. In Ephesians 5.25, all husbands are reminded to love their wives as Christ did what? As He loved the church. How much? So much that He gave Himself for her. Our relationship is based on His love for us. In John 10, we read that Jesus said He lays down His life for the sheep. He has the power to lay it down. He has the power to take it again. And the Father has given Him that power. In love, the Holy Spirit convicts the sinner and calls us to Himself. In Galatians 4, 4-6, through We read that in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that He might redeem those that were under the law. And because we are sons, He has sent forth His Spirit into our hearts, crying, Daddy, Father, it's all about God's love for His people. 
who is the purchase. It is none other than His church, the bride of Christ. My text this morning is Romans 7. In Romans 7, we read, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit unto God. So the purchase of the Redeemer is his church. We just saw that in Ephesians 5.25 when he said he loved the church and gave himself for us. So the church is the blood-bought bride of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came once in the advent to purchase the church. He's coming again to be that bridegroom who will take us to be forever with him. So... We can see then that the church is the bride of Christ. And she is His purchased possession. Acts 20.28 All those who stand and and, uh, pastor and uh, work toward the church are called to remember that they are to feed the flock of God as a shepherd because He has purchased the church. How? With His own blood. And in Ephesians 1.14, the Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Who is that? It is the church. Well, looking at our text, I've broken it down into three major sections or three main points. First, I would like to talk about the condition of the church. My second point will be the cause of this change in condition. Because indeed it is a change. And the third point will be the consequence of this change and the challenge that arises from it or goes with it. And it's a joyous challenge. So, what is the condition then of the church? Well, our condition looking at the text, it says... We have become dead to the law. We should rejoice this morning because we are dead to the law. What does that mean? That means the law has no power over us. The law doesn't terrorize us into submission. The law cannot demand payment from us. Have you ever seen a policeman give a ticket to a dead man? No. Why? Because the law has no power over those who are beyond its reach. We are beyond the reach of the law this morning, and therefore we are said to be dead to it. Well, what does this mean? It means not only, it means that we cannot be forced to pay a debt owed to the law because the dead don't pay their debts. You know that. Those who are dead, they don't pay their debts. Romans 8, 1 and 2 is important. Because some may think, well, we are dead to the law. Let us sin that grace may abound. But that is not the heart of one who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul points out in Romans 8, 
where he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. And I just gave the wrong verse. I said Romans 8.1. Go with me to Romans 6.1, which is where I should be. Romans 6.1 says... What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Or in the King James, God forbid. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? We're dead to sin this morning. We ought to rejoice. We ought to be shouting and lifting a holy hand and rejoicing in our Savior because He paid the penalty. Christ suffered in our place that He might bring us to glory. We are alive to God and dead unto sin because of the first advent. That's what all of these seven sermons were about. Understanding who Christ is and why He is able to bring us to glory through His death and resurrection. So, we're dead to sin. We're no, we no longer live in it. I'm uh, hurrying because of the shortness of the time, but let me just say, some of us sadly want to go and visit those old sins. We want to keep those pet sins in a little corner of our heart and say, no, I don't want to be changed from that. But the Spirit of God works in us to make us completely clean and to wash us and cleanse us thoroughly. And we cannot go and visit in our old life. We cannot, we know we can't live in it, but some of us think we can visit there. Do you know what I'm saying? We can't visit there. When we turn around to go visit that sin, we've turned our back on our Savior. Ought to never be. So, we have become free. We have become free. Romans 6.22 says, But now, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, the wages of sin is death. A debt we could not pay. Christ paid it on our behalf that we might be alive unto God. So, how is this possible? Well, we've already said it. I've said it. You can't talk about being dead to sin without saying how we are. Our verse says that we have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Let me just hurry along and say, through the body, that doesn't just mean because Christ was born in a body that He might take it to the tree. As Chris pointed out, He had to live the perfect life. He had to become fully man. When it says... He had a body, it doesn't mean that he just had a body. He had a complete human nature. He was fully man. He had the human nature that Adam had before Adam fell. But he never fell. He never sinned in any way. Uh, Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin... He condemned sin in the flesh. All these references, flesh, flesh, flesh. That doesn't just mean skin. It means the human nature. He sent His Son to take on a human nature. 
that he might condemn sin. How? By living a perfect life with a perfect human nature. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christ gave himself for us that we might have his righteousness. Chris pointed out, he took our sin that we might have his righteousness. So, moving quickly, Romans 10, 4 through 8 shows us that. And we don't have time to turn there, but we know that Jesus is quoting from the Psalms when he says, A body you have prepared for me. God prepared a body for his son. Not only so that he could suffer the wrath of God on the cross, but so that he could live a perfect life and take that perfect life to the cross. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 point out that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, and God was satisfied with that. How satisfied was God with that? So satisfied that He raised the Redeemer on the third day. What does uh, Philippians 2 have to say about that? It says that being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God hath highly exalted Him. Who is this? It's Jesus Christ. Highly exalted Him that He... that. At his name, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, why is it important to realize who Christ is? Because the purpose of his suffering was not just to redeem us from hell. It wasn't just to keep his people out of hell. It was to pay the price for the church, which is his Bride. So, the change was brought about by the body, which that means the entire price that Christ paid. The third part is the consequence of that change. Two parts. It says, therefore, my brethren, in our text, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Why? That you may be married to another. Who would that be? The scripture says, to the one who was raised from the dead. Or as the King James says, to the one who is raised from the dead, because many people were raised from the dead, but there is one who is currently raised from the dead. And as he said to John, when John saw him in his vision, I have the keys of hell and death, and I am alive forevermore. So in our text, the background of it is the Apostle Paul is saying that no marriage should ever end. No marriage should ever end. Guess what? There's one marriage that will never end. It's the marriage of the bride, the lamb's wife, to the bridegroom, who is the lamb. And when he comes back, we will be like him, and we will rejoice to see him, and we will forever be with him. So the point is that we are legally dead to the law, that we might marry Christ. What does it mean to marry? It means to become one with. What does the bride do? The bride becomes one with her husband. Christ becomes one with the church. The church becomes one with Him. The Holy Spirit is working to change us, to make us more and more like Jesus. How does He do that? 
Well, as we gaze on Christ, that 2 Corinthians 3.18 work is being done in us. And we're being transformed into His image from glory to glory. And it's the Spirit that is doing that in us. So why are we redeemed this morning? Why can we rejoice? We are redeemed so that we might be married to Christ and bear fruit unto God. What does that mean to bear fruit unto God? Well, it certainly means that the work, the fruit of the uh, flesh or the works of the flesh are no longer prevalent in our life in a way that we cannot refuse them. We are freed from the law that we might uh, bear fruit unto Christ. Uh, Galatians 2.20 tells us this when it says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me. What is this? This is the union of Christ and the believer, Christ and the church. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Why? Because He loved us. He loved me and gave himself for me. If you see any goodness in Charles Foster, it's not Charles Foster. It's Jesus Christ working in me. If I see any goodness in you, it's the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And that's true of every believer. So, Galatians 5.22 tells us what those fruits are. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and I can't say it without singing the songs. I'm going to. Let's see. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. No. Love, joy, peace. Ah. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness. Thank you, Joshua. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who wants that in us? We don't have that by the human nature. I know I'm out of time. I heard the ringer. So I'm going to stop. And I'm sorry that I didn't manage my time well. But let's just rejoice in who Jesus is. He is our husband. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. He's coming back. All this has been directed to saints up to this point. It'd be foolish to think that we are all in this room saints. So let me say a word to the sinner. Come to the Savior. Come to the Savior. If you look at Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says He's coming in verse 12 of Revelation 22. In verse 16, He says, I have sent my angel to testify you of these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of Jesse, the bright and the morning star. Verse 17 we read, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that hears say, come. And let him that thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus Christ is everything to the believer. He's the bread of heaven. He is the water of life. He is our great reward. He is our hope. He is our treasure. He is everything to us. Who is Christ to you this morning? Is He more than the babe of Bethlehem? Is He more than Joseph, the carpenter's son? Is He more than a teacher with wonderful words? Is He more than a man of miracles who could heal the lame and give sight to the blind? 
Is he more than a good teacher who offended a empire and suffered a death on a cross? To those who have, to those who have been born by the Spirit of God, he is more. He is God in the flesh. He is the Son of the Highest. He is the Word of Life. He is not just the one who provides food for the 5,000. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider who Abraham met when he said, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. When uh, he said, The Lord will provide himself a lamb. Jesus Christ is that provided lamb. He is, as John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I know I'm seriously over time now, but let me just say, come to the Savior. John 6, 36 and 37, assure us, all that the Father give me shall come to me. And he that cometh I will in no wise cast out. So don't let anything hinder you from running to Jesus. Run to Jesus. There's no greater joy than to be among the bride. So, let's pause and reflect on that. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, thank Him. Thank Him that you can now do what every catechism says the chief end of man is, which is to glorify God, to worship God and enjoy Him forever. To worship God and enjoy Him forever. Who do we enjoy? It's Jesus Christ. It's the man Christ Jesus. We enjoy Him forever. There will be a day when we follow the Lamb and we are in that place where He is the light. Rejoice in who Christ is. If you don't know Him, Remember, he said, I'm coming quickly. Is he the bridegroom coming to take you to forever be with him? Or are you one of those who dread the appearance of the judge of all the earth? Flee to Christ. He is the only refuge. He's the only hope. Let's just take a moment.